Welcome to Monday Mornings with Michelle, the new business podcast. Whether you're kicking off your day or kickstarting your business, Michelle is going to kick your ass into next week with the essential fours. Strategy, systems, support, and state of mind. Now, welcome to center stage, Michelle Nedelec. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedelec, and I am super glad that you're here with us today because I have the most amazing guest. You're going to love him, Sam Silverstein. Thank you, Sam, for being here with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Michelle. I'm expecting a fun time and a good time. It's going to be epic. (laughs) Well, you know, don't tell your wife. It might be better, but we'll we'll, we'll let, you know, we'll We'll, figure out where it lands. see how that plays out. (laughs) Exactly. So why don't you give our peeps a 5,000 foot view of who you are and what exciting projects you're working on right now? Oh, well, it's real simple. Um, I've been for the last 28 years really focused on how do you build accountability into your life? How do you build accountability into your business? How do you build accountability in your community? And I used to own a manufacturing business, sold it, written 11 books. I work with leaders of businesses of all sizes and governments literally around the world, helping them build a workplace culture that prioritizes accountability so they can grow their business to be the best they can possibly be. Nice. I love that. Now, I know a lot of business owners love accountability because it means that they get their job done, but tell me what it means in your eyes. Well, that's just it. You know, everything we've been taught about accountability is wrong. Accountability is not a way of leadership manipulating people to try and get things done. Accountability is creating the environment as a leader, taking the responsibility to create the environment that inspires people to be their best, to want to be accountable. And so accountability is keeping your commitments to people. But very specifically, I delineate between tactical commitments and relational commitments. So it's really about keeping your relational commitments to people, a commitment to live the values, a commitment to stand by you when all hell breaks loose, a commitment to it's all of us, which means if you fail, I fail. If you succeed, I succeed. And when you make and keep those commitments, and they don't have to be spoken, unlike tactical commitments, but when you make and keep those commitments, you build better, more meaningful relationships with the people around you and your family, your community, your business. And when you do that, you inspire accountability and you inspire people to be their best. And what leader doesn't want to be surrounded by people who are working to be their best? Nice. I love that. And I also love that the focus is on relationships and a lot of, now maybe it's just my 80s old school way of thinking sometimes, but I see a lot of business owners that are afraid of having relationships in the office because they think as soon as you say that word, it's taboo. And, you know, I'm good with taboo, but I I don't really think that everybody has to be like me in order to have a functional culture. (laughs) Well, the leader that says this is business that isn't personal is totally missing it because any interaction between two people is personal. So you and I are having this conversation today. We had a conversation a few weeks ago. It's personal. We can be discussing business, but it's still personal. And so how I say something to you can impact you, how I uh, instruct you, how I support you, whether I don't support you, how I might make a decision that's any decision I make is going to impact you. And if it impacts you professionally, it's probably going to impact you personally. So yeah, it's personal. And when you realize that, when you take the time to get to know people and you care about people and they realize that they are truly valued, it's everything changes. It's a different playing field and the results are totally different. Nice. And we will totally get into how you make people feel valued because 
important to me that's the most important aspect of being alive is <laughs> we all want to be important and uh, you know that's our love and our affection our love languages or everything and sometimes it's um paramount that we get it at work because we're going to work to fulfill our purpose so exactly. we would totally get there but i want to know first off how did you get into this field wow you know, well so i i mentioned i had a window and door manufacturing business and uh we were growing like crazy and building something pretty special. Um, and I just wasn't really enjoying myself to the degree that I thought I should. And along that time, a lot of people were thanking me for the advice I gave them. And I didn't even remember having those conversations in the first place, quite honestly. And so I thought, wow, if I can have an impact on someone's life on their business without trying, what would happen if I tried? And someone that I'd gotten to know said his career in this arena took off after he wrote his first book. So I said, why wait? So I wrote a book and um, started speaking and then I've written other books. And then next thing I know, uh, when people wanna work on their workplace culture, and especially when they really wanna create a place that, that prioritizes accountability, my phone rings and I love that. Nice, I do too. So let's go back to talking about uh, making an impact on people, making them feel important. What do you think the most important role for a leader is in that aspect? So. Here's the thing. A traditional leadership says the leader's got to focus on the bottom line and, and get all the people to get on board uh, with whatever the program is. And that's just not right. So I believe that it's the leader that realizes that her responsibility or his responsibility are his people. I mean, ultimately, leadership is, one, is when you accept the responsibility for the safety and the success of the people that you lead. That's what leadership is. And so it's, it's not management. You manage things. You lead people. And if it's about people, it's relationships. And so the leader that really recognizes that and embraces that, well, then what happens is they start looking for ways to help their people be the best. And then what happens is their people go, wow, she cares about me. Wow, he's concerned with, with, with my success. I would rather die than let them down. Now, who doesn't want an army of people or Navy of people or an Air Force of people, a group of people who would rather die than let you down? And so the leader that's just focused on the numbers doesn't get it. Now, I'm not, you have to perform in business. If you don't make a profit, you're out of business. I get that. But if you focus on your people as a leader, they will realize that. They'll make sure that you make a profit. Nice. I like that. And but it takes faith. You know, you have to believe in it. Because if, if you just believe that if you're the kind of leader that says, you know, I have 32 headaches and everyone has a first name, then you just don't get it. And really, you shouldn't be a leader. Yeah. And what about people that have like 200 or 1,000 employees and they're going like, I just can't, I can't go around hugging everybody all day. I'm not going to have any time and well, talk to them. I'm not. Yeah. Well, OK. So first of all, I'm not saying you have to go around hugging everybody. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is you need to care about everybody. You need to care about them, their safety, their security, their well-being, their success. And if you say, well, you know what? They have a job to do and I pay them to do that job. All right, you already don't get it. Not that you can't make money with that attitude. You can, but you're not going to create a place that attracts the best people, keeps the best people. And you will not make near as much money as you would if you really cared about your people. Thanks. Talk to me about kind of the things that you've noticed. Actually, let's have a Cinderella story of one of your ideal clients that turned their business around because they implemented accountability the way you do. 
Okay, so uh, I had a program once, one of our, what we call an accountability roundtable. We go into a community, and usually it's someone that we've worked with that sponsors this. Uh, they, they, they serve a meal. They invite leaders from the business sector, the private sector, the public sector, education, government, and we sit around and talk about accountability. And I donate my time for this because my goal is, my mission is to build a more accountable world. After one of these accountability roundtables, somebody came up to us and said, uh, um, he said, I don't have any values. Can you help me with that? And I'm like, wow, that sounds kind of, woe is me. Well, the reality was, um, the answer was yes. And the reality was he did have values and there were values present in his organization, but they just weren't codified. He hadn't identified them. He hadn't written them down. He hadn't defined them. He hadn't taught them to everybody. He hadn't put a stake in the ground that said, this is how we're going to do it here. And if you're not going to do it this way, then we'll allow you to go someplace where your behavior is acceptable. And so we taught them how to do that. We helped them craft an amazing set of values. We helped them establish the values in everyone. We helped them learn how to hire to the values, fire from the values. Within 60 days, the culture of their organization started to change. People left. They attracted new people. The new people came because they said, we came here because of the values. Within 90 days, they were hearing uh, stories back from their people that they had taken their values home. Their spouses loved the values. Their spouses took the values to their place of business. Within a few months after that, I'm, I'm hearing a story about a woman who had um, cancer and she had to go to the Mayo Clinic in Rochester. And this was in Texas for treatments. And the people had gotten together, went to the president of the organization and said, asked, can we change our policy manual so that we can gift our PTO, our personal time off to so-and-so, so when she goes for her cancer treatments, she can still have an income. This is what happened in this organization. And when people care about each other to that degree, when they're covering for each other, when they're communicating with each other, when they're working together as a team, you know that's showing up on the bottom line. And literally eight months, nine months later, I was at this gentleman's trade show, his convention, he was president of his state level organization, invited me in to speak. And he told all his peers that um, in the eight months, nine months that they'd been working with me, that their activity, it's how they measure things, their activity had tripled. Nice. Yeah, it was pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. Cool. That is a great Cinderella story. So tell me, what do you think somebody might be thinking right now that's kind of what stumbling blocks might somebody have that they're thinking, oh my God, Sam, I need you so bad right now? Well, a lot of times we just, we're, we're used to the way that we've done it. We've worked for a leader that did it this way. And so we learned our leadership style from their leadership style. And so my question to you is, are you attracting the best people? Are you keeping the best people? Um, if unemployment is low in your area, are you having a hard time finding good people? Um, because organizations that create this, this type of culture organization in Texas, another one in Texas that uh, now I didn't teach them how to do this. I was doing a case study. I was learning from them. Um, unemployment was less, was zero basically. And when they run an ad, they get 40 to a hundred responses. Wow. So if that's the kind of thing you want in your organization, well, this is what we're talking about. Building a culture that people want to be a part of. And the flip side of that, and Michelle, I know you know this, when times get tough, and it's like this past year, times were tough. You know, we were all put into pressing situations with changing rules of how to operate. The organization that's really established this incredible culture, 
they adapt so much quicker and they, they, they work through these situations so much better. And these challenging times do not impact them near as much. And I see this over and over and over again. So I would say, if this sounds like something that you want in your organization, then we do need to talk. And, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're 17,000 people or whether you're seven people, the time to start working on your culture is literally the day you turn yet right now, when's the best time to dig a well 20 years ago, when's the second best time to dig a well right now. Um, If you have one employee work on your culture, because if you want to scale, it's so much easier to scale if you've got your culture in place because you're hiring to the culture. You have that roadmap. Nice. I love that. I get excited when we start going down into this conversation. (laughs) Absolutely. And a lot of people think that, you know, when I was coaching them that I was crazy because I'd be telling them to plan out their business the way they saw it ideally. And it's like, okay, so what positions are in in the business right now and who's covering those positions? And you know, and how are you guys communicating together? They're looking at me like I do it and I don't talk to myself. And like you do, and you do talk to yourself. <laughs> I guarantee you talk to yourself and you're having, you know, deliberations between the CEO and the CIO. <laughs> exactly. And that's like the E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber, which is all about identifying all the different positions in your organization, even if you're a solopreneur, because as soon as you're going to go to hire someone, if you've identified all the different positions and what those different hats that you are wearing, what they do, then when you go to hire someone, it's much easier to hire them. But if you've also identified the culture that you want your organization, it's easy to identify people that are going to be a match to the culture. Because if someone can't live the values that you've identified that you want present in your organization, if they haven't, if they haven't shown you that those values are already in their past, they're not going to be a good fit, no matter how good they are tactically. We can teach the tactics, we can teach the skills, but the values need to be preloaded. Oh, absolutely. So talk to me about somebody that might think, oh, but I really want to get the best of everybody into my team, and then we'll decide. Well, but then you're hiring people, the best what? So (laughs) you could hire the best. Okay, first of all, best. How do we define best? You could hire a great salesperson, but the, the great salesperson disrespects the support team. So what good does that do if the salesperson is ticking off your support team and they just want to quit and they want to leave? And I've seen way too many leaders say, well, I can't fire Sue or I can't fire Joe. They're our number one salesperson. If they're not living the values and you let them stay, they're not your values. Not only that, they're creating a caustic work environment and your other people are going to stay. And so you're still not going to build a stable place for your employees. So if the, if the gal or the guy is not living the values, get rid of them and get someone that does. And when you do that, you will be inspiring your people to work harder, to get the job done, to make up the difference. I'm telling you, the values that define the culture are key. And if you allow people to stay in your organization that aren't living those values, then you can't say you have them. And if you haven't identified the values, then you have a challenge because the values represent how we do things here. And if I don't know how to do things, when I come to work for you, I'm not going to get the job done to an optimal level. Mm -hmm. You're preaching to the choir and I love it because I've seen that happen where people have a toxic salesperson, but they are making a ton of money and they're raking in the dough and that's fantastic. But they're so busy pissing off everybody else behind corners that the clients are leaving and then the boss is getting pissed at the customer service rep or fulfillment. 
as if it's right. their fault that they're losing clients. And it's like, no, you're not looking at the toxicity and where where the bad apples are and, and what you got to do about it. The question is, are you trying to make money this week? Are you trying to build a sustainable, scalable business that's going to provide for your family and other families and connect and make a difference in the community over time? And if you want to create something of significance like that, then the only way to do it is through an amazing culture. And it means that culture is always part of the conversation. Um, one of my books, Non-Negotiable, was at a bank, about a bank called Happy State Bank, real bank. Um, and I sat in on their, on their uh, board meeting where they were discussing their strategic plan. Nine-point strategic plan. Point one of the plan. Protect the culture. This was the first part of their strategic plan that they reviewed and implemented each year was to protect the culture. This is how important it is. And so it's real easy to get caught up in the rat race of doing, of selling, of producing, of delivering. But we need to be working not just in the business, we need to work on the business. And so it's just critical that we, that we embrace that. And those people that embrace that, fall in love with culture, make it a part of their everyday conversation. They evangelize the culture. They get everyone on board. They're evangelizing the culture. And then when times get tough, those people are there for you because guess what? You were there for them. By building that culture and protecting that culture, you're saying, I want you to have a great workplace. I want you to enjoy coming in. I want you to enjoy working with each other. I want to have a good time. And while we're doing that, we're going to make a lot of money. Nice. I love that. And it's, and it's interesting to me how different companies can have completely different cultures, but they're still strong and viable cultures. It's like, you know, when you walk in there, it's like a stark 180 degree difference between the two, but the people that are there love being there. Well, exactly. And if you can't sense that when you walk in the door, it doesn't exist. You walk into a business, you walk into any business, you walk into the coffee shop and there's a feeling there is a feeling and you, you just, you say, you know what? I enjoy being here. And as a customer, you enjoy being there. I guarantee you, look, customer cannot have a better experience than the employees inside the organization are having. You want to provide superior customer service um, and a customer experience? Well, your people have to have a superior employee experience. If you walk into a place that um, you enjoy the way that you're treated there, you enjoy the experience, you can pretty much bet that the people working there are enjoying what they're doing. It's very difficult for people to um, not be enjoying what they're doing, to be upset, to be frustrated, to feel pressure, to feel undervalued, and then turn around and give amazing customer service. That just doesn't happen. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> no, I love that line. That was an awesome line. Never have a better customer experience than you do an employee experience. And it's so true. I mean, it's, I won't name names, but we all know the big department store there you walk in and they try to be happy and it's like oh my god you people are miserable <laughs> just like it's gotta suck working there well exactly and then there's also that big department store where those people give amazing service and and you can just bring things back and they take care of you and they make you feel welcome and we know who they are too and it's the way their people are treated but you think about it where it really shows up is in the airline industry and huh. um you know Bottom line is, you go, you know, re I realized that for the last 12 months, no one's really been flying a whole bunch. But if mm -hmm. you go back before that, you hear all the time the customer service 
debacles that are going on in the airline industry with United and American in particular. You don't hear about that stuff on Southwest. Why? Well, the people that work at Southwest enjoy working there. And the people that work at American don't. They don't feel valued. They don't feel appreciated. And then guess what? When I walk on the plane as a customer, even if I'm double gold, platinum, elite status and all that stuff, I still don't feel the love. And I don't feel the love because your people don't feel it. And if they don't feel it, they can't give it. You can't give what you don't have. Exactly. Right. So what would you say to somebody that's going, okay, Tim, totally get it. I need your stuff, but what do I do right now? Like I've got to get a handle on this now. Okay. So what do you do right now? Well, there's several things that you can do. One, um, I've got a free individual accountability assessment at amiaccountable.com, amiaccountable.com. Takes two minutes, and what you're, you're going to see how, how you're doing on these 10 relational commitments that, that we have seen that define what accountability is. That'll start giving you some insights. And then the, the least expensive, easiest way to start, I would say, is, is either get my book, Non-Negotiable, or I Am Accountable. And it's going to start stepping you through what it means to be a, a leader that inspires accountability in their people. And, and that'll be, you know, that's just a very inexpensive way to, to get the airplane off the ground, to start picking up an awareness of, of what a leader that inspires accountability needs to be aware of and needs to do. Um, and so those, those would be the easiest, quickest ways to, to jumpstart that, uh, that journey. Nice. I love that. And peeps, if you're driving right now, we will absolutely have those links for you in the details of this show, as well as at awareness strategy or at the little blue pill for business.com slash blogs. You can get all that information there as well. And this has been fantastic and awesome. So do you want to know before I let you go though, and before we leave you with parting words, at what point did you know that you were that special kind of crazy enough to become an entrepreneur? Uh, great question. Um, I, I've been in two family businesses. I grew up in a family business, and so I watched my parents work together. And then after after I received my MBA, I went to work with my parents, and I did that for three years. And then I wanted to get in the manufacturing business. So I left that situation. I bought into my father-in-law's company. Um, so now I've worked from one family. I've worked for the other side of the family. Um, I went from the fire to the frying pan. Um, and then at and then there came the time when I just realized that I wanted to build my organization. Um, I've always been a, I always, I've always been a risk taker. I, from the standpoint of, I just believe that things are going to work out, you know, and, and not if you're sitting on the sofa all day, things aren't going to work out. But if you work hard, if you apply yourself, if you try to be just a little bit better every day. And so I, I just think early on, I realized I wanted to be in, a, in business for myself. I wanted to build things. And then as, as time went by, I realized it wasn't just about being in business for myself. I wanted to be in business for others. I wanted to build an organization that would impact others. And once I discovered that, that's when things started to change very rapidly. Nice. I love that. So what kind of crazy, risky things did you do as a kid? Anything fun? Oh, <laughs> I don't know if the statute of limitations is up, so I better not share some of that. Um, but I will tell you that it's just when it comes to business, I'm not afraid to jettison. Uh, when I had the manufacturing business, we got to the point where I said, you know what, the product lines that this company was founded on, um, which were still making us money, we needed the floor space. We had no more room to build. We had built, we 
we'd moved twice. We'd expanded once on the second building. We'd expanded on the, on the third building. Um, didn't really want to move. There was no room to expand. So the only thing we could do was starting to eliminate products. And so we would just eliminate profitable products from our product line. And that's kind of gutsy. We would eliminate a, a profitable product and take on a product in an area that we didn't even do business in. And, um, but you know, you do your due diligence and you, you see what, what demand there is out in the marketplace and you have resources and you make the investment and you move forward. And if you, if you're smart about it, you, you, you're, you're mitigating the risk, you're mitigating the exposure and it's probably going to work out. If it doesn't, then it's just going to create an opportunity for something else to work out. And so I just don't worry about that stuff because I guarantee you, here's the bottom line on that. What can you control in any situation? What do you focus on? I, I had this conversation with my clients all the time. If you focus on the stuff that you can't control, then, then what happens is you, you bring fear into your life, you make excuses, you get bogged down, and you don't move. You don't move forward. If you focus on what you can control, then you make decisions in that area and you move forward. It's, it's like I was listening to the CEO of an organization yesterday that I was getting ready to speak for at their annual meeting. And he said, yeah, we were down a little bit, but it was because of COVID. Well, you know what? That's a pile of crap, okay? He made an excuse for that. I'm thinking, okay, so it's COVID. How do we change what we're doing? What do we need to do different? How do we need to think different so we'll do something different? And, and he didn't realize that. And so, yeah, what do you focus on? And, and I believe if you focus on those things that you can't control, then you just keep making decisions. And if they don't work out, then you're, there's something you're not believing that there's something you're believing that's not working for you. Question what it is that you believe, your assumptions, make some, take, take on some new beliefs, some new assumptions, make new decisions, and then try it again. It has to work. Nice, I love that. Love your passion, love your excitement. Love the ideas. And there's a ton of stuff in there that I think everybody should go through on a monthly basis, no matter what the market's doing. And just kind of where are we at and are we keeping up with it? Because if you're not keeping up, you're falling behind. Well, exactly. Exactly. It's like I, I was doing a program once and someone said disruptive technology was putting him out of business. I said, what do you mean? He says, well, there's people in our, I knew what he meant, but there's people in our industry, the printing industry that that are offering all sorts of new services on the internet and they're doing this and they're doing that and we can't keep up. I'm going, well, then you're not empowering your people. You're not positioning your people to come up with those ideas. You've created an environment that people are afraid to share what their ideas are because don't think that, that my employees are smarter than yours or that yours aren't as smart as someone else's, but you have to create that environment that inspires them, that unleashes them. And that's what building a workplace culture that inspires accountability is all about. Nice. I love it. That's a perfect way to end. Unless of course you want something else to say to me. I think we're good. You are awesome. Anybody that wants to reach out and contact us, it's at uh, samsilverstein.com or beaccountable.com. And there's hundreds of videos and articles, all kinds of free stuff there for you to start the journey. Love it. Peeps, this is Michelle Nedelec. Thank you for being here with us today. If you know anyone who would make a great guest for the show, or if you have a question or topic that you'd like me to discuss, reach out at Michelle at the little blue pill for business.com or connect with me on LinkedIn or Facebook. I would love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to our show. I am all about being a resource center for entrepreneurs to give them the information and the support they need to make it in business. 
As such, I have Taking Your Business Digital Q&A every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Mountain. To register for that, go to awarenessstrategies.com slash digital. That's D-I-G-I-T-A-L. I look forward to meeting you and actually finding out how you are. So see you on the flip side.